Thank you for joining us today for this life-changing message from River of Life. If you are ever in our area, we would love for you to join us. For more information, visit us at rolcrawfordville.com. That's rolcrawfordville.com. Or download our app in the App Store under ROL Crawfordville. Now, let's join Derek Gray as he teaches from the Word of God. Those of you that are are visiting tonight, we are making our way through the Sermon on the Mount, and tonight we come to the end of chapter 6, verses 25 to 34, and the title of our lesson is The Fight of Faith. The Fight of Faith. Now, you know, if, if you've sat under my teaching for any amount of time, you'll hear me say that I love the Bible. And you, I always give different reasons that I love the Bible. But one of the reasons I love the Bible is it's so practical. It really is practical. There's a, we teach the kids that the Bible stands for uh, B-I-B-L-E. What is it? Basic instruction before leaving earth, right? And we say that because that's really its job. It, it's here to get us across the finish line. It's here to get us to heaven, but not just get us crawling across the finish line. It wants us going full speed. It, it wants us to be, live an abundant life, a, a life that glorifies Christ, a life we live a life so that when we cross that line, he's able to say to us, well done, good and faithful servant. And so, and, and with that in mind, I really cannot think of a passage in the Bible that's more practical than this one. Because what this one's going to talk about tonight, every single one of us struggle with. Everybody has issues with this uh, thing that he's going to talk about. Now, just very quickly, let's take a quick review. In chapter 6, Jesus is talking about the dangers that faces us in our Christian life. Um, He comes out of chapter 5 describing what a Christian is, what the character of a Christian looks like. But as you come to chapter 6, you've got to go out and walk it out. And one of the dangers that he teaches us early in chapter 6 is the danger of hypocrisy, doing our righteous acts so that people can see us and pat us on the back. And then last week, I think in verse 19, he introduced this danger of worldliness. Now, when I say worldliness, what I mean by that is the danger of seeing things the way the world sees it, of having the same outlook, the the same attitudes, the same mentalities, the same way of seeing and acting that the world does. He, that's a real danger for us as Christians that we'll get, we'll get pulled over into that way of, of thinking. Now, the first example that he gave us in verses 19 to 24 was money or treasure. And uh, he used that to illustrate. Now, I won't read the whole thing, but just to encapsulate, he said this, "...don't lay up for yourself treasure in heaven." That's all temporary. I'm sorry, don't lay up for yourself treasure on earth. That's all temporary. Lay up for yourself treasure in heaven. And the danger is because whatever you value, that's going to own your heart. Whatever you value the most is going to own your heart, and it's going to control you. Where your, where your treasure is, there your heart is. And then he says you can't serve two masters. Now, a lot of people think we can. We think we can, but Jesus said that's impossible. You cannot serve God and money. Now, we looked at that last week. Now, tonight, he turns to the second illustration of worldliness. And what he uses here is our anxiety or our worry about our life. Just an incredible passage of Scripture. Let's read it. Matthew 6, 25 to 34. 
And I want you to just imagine, if you will, in fact, I don't have to imagine. Last night I was watching The Chosen, and it just so happened that it was the Sermon on the Mount. And uh, so, and he was, he was actually quoting uh, this part right here. It says this, Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious. That's the general principle right there. Don't be anxious. Don't worry about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink or about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They don't sow or reap or gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to your life? And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They don't toil or spin, yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. And if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore, do not be anxious, saying, what shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles, or the pagans, or the unbelievers, they seek after all those things. And your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. Now, here at the end of chapter 6, he gives us two illustrations of worldliness. One is laying up treasure in the heaven, and the other is worry. Okay? Now, these two illustrations are different, but they also share a, a similarity. So first of all, let's look at what's different about them. Um, last week, we talked about laying up treasure on earth. And there are people that that, that, that really um, talks to them or speaks to them. There are people uh, in this world that are rich, men like Jeff Bezos or Elon Musk, people that are multimillionaires or billionaires. And can I tell you, they do not worry about money, right? If you're a billionaire, you don't worry about where your next dollar is coming from. You're not worried about what you're going to eat, what you're going to drink. You might worry about which house you're going to stay in of your 12 houses that you have or something like that. They are like the rich man in Luke 12. You remember what he said when his land yielded plentifully? He said, I'll build bigger barns. Notice what he says. I'll say to myself, relax, eat, drink, and be merry. In other words, I'm set for life. There are people like that in the world. And when Jesus says, don't hoard your stuff, don't, don't accumulate your stuff, he's talking certainly to people like that. But at the same time, there are people in this world who do not lay up treasure on earth. They don't lay up and hoard their money, yet those same people worry about money. Do you know who those people are? See, there are people who just, you can't lay up because you don't have it. You may not be poor. You may be middle class. But in today's economy, you just don't have the means to have anything extra. You don't have anything to lay up. In fact, I was thinking some of you last week may have been sitting here. And as I'm talking about, hey, don't hoard up your money and, and, and do all this, you're probably sitting there thinking, well, he ain't talking to me. He might be talking to somebody else in this room, but he ain't talking to me. I'm barely getting by at the end of the month, right? I don't have anything extra. I can't lay anything up. And that is, might be true, but let me tell you, 
you worry about money. See, Jesus is so amazing. He can come right in about eight or ten verses, and he can get rich people, and he can get poor people, and everybody in, the, in between. You might be one of those that's got plenty, and you don't worry about money. He says, don't lay up for yourself treasure on earth. You may be so poor, you, got, you can't rub two nickels together, and he says, don't worry about money. It's just, it's just a way that he has. When he speak, picks these things, he's got reasons for doing it. Now, that's how they're different. Now, how are they similar? Well, they're both examples of worldliness. They're both examples of worldliness. You see, it's immaterial to Jesus whether you're spending your time laying up treasure or you're spending your time worrying about money. What matters is you're not thinking about the Father. You're thinking like the world thinks. You're not trusting the Father. You're not standing on His promises. You're not, you're not walking in the Spirit. So it's immaterial whether you're rich or poor, whether you have or have not. He, he's got both all of us. And he says, look, and the pro- your problem is, is you're not focused on the Father. You're not putting your trust in Him. You see, in the end, you're still guilty of worldliness because you're buying into the world's way of thinking. You're thinking like the Gentiles, the pagans, the unbelievers do. And that's what we'll talk about tonight. I titled my lesson tonight, Fight the Good Faith, or, or, or Fight the Good, or fight, The Fight of Faith. And I take that from 1 Timothy 6.12, where Paul writes to Timothy, and he says this, Fight the good fight of faith. Now, I want to talk about this for just a moment. When a person is born again, okay, your heart is changed. Your heart is changed so that the life that you now live is a life of faith. This is what Paul talks about in Galatians 2.20. He says this, I have been crucified with Christ. In other words, my old man, the old Derek, is dead. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life that I now live in this flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. That is, we, we live by faith. Now, what does that mean? That means we think differently. We see things differently. We act differently than we used to. Paul calls it in 2 Corinthians 5, 7, we walk by faith, not by sight. We make decisions based not on what we can see with our eyes, but what God's Word says. That's, that's what it means to, to live by faith or to walk by faith. But listen to me. It will never be easy. Never. It's never going to be easy. It's never going to be smooth sailing. See, the fact, the moment you're born again, the moment you come into that new birth, you enter a war. And you're going to battle every day, and the battle you're going to fight is to maintain your faith. Every day, every minute of every hour of every day, you are going to be in a battle to maintain the faith that you have. That's what Scripture calls the fight of faith. I just mentioned 1 Timothy 6, 12. He writes to Timothy in his first letter and says, Timothy, fight the good fight of faith. When he writes the second letter, he's, letter he's about to die. He's under a death sentence. This will be the last letter he ever writes. And he writes to Timothy and he says this, I fought the good fight, I finished the faith, I have, say it with me, kept the faith. I kept the faith, I didn't quit. See folks, in this fight of faith, you cannot ring the bell. 
You cannot tap out. You cannot quit. You cannot give in. You have to finish. You must finish or you will not go to heaven. You must finish or you are not saved. Matthew 24, 24, 13, Jesus said this, The one who endures to the end will be saved. Hebrews 3, 13 says this, For we have come to share in Christ if indeed we hold our original confidence firm all the way to the end. You can't quit. Every day is a battle not to quit, to maintain that faith. In other words, the writer of Hebrew is telling us that the evidence that we've come to share in Christ, the evidence that we are saved is that you hold firm your faith all the way until death. Now, in this fight, there's a danger. There's a a particular thing that will cause us to fall away. This one thing is the thing that we battle every day. What is that one thing? Well, the Hebrews 3.12 tells us. It says, Take care, brothers, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart leading you to fall away from the living God. He says, Take care. In other words, be vigilant. Fight the fight. Don't give up. Keep, keep watching. Be alert. The danger is what? Unbelief. The danger is that you will not believe. It'll it'll start to overcome your heart in certain areas. And if you let it overtake you, if you let it win, you will fall away from the living God. You see, at the end of the day, at its very essence, the fight of faith is always a battle against unbelief. The fight of faith is always a battle. Every day, temptations, things, situations are coming against us. Things you read in the paper. How could God do that? How could God do that? How does he let that happen? It's a battle against unbelief. It's trying to overcome you. It's trying to, it's trying to drive your faith out of your heart. And you've got to fight it like you've never fought anything else in this world. The basic battle of our life is the battle to keep believing, not to let our heart be overcome with unbelief. Now, You may ask me, well, what does that have to do with anxiety? What's that got to do with anxiety? And that's a really good question. Four times in this passage, Jesus says, don't be anxious. Verse 25, he says, therefore, I tell you, don't be anxious about your life. Verse 27, and which of you, by being anxious, can add one hour to his span of life? Verse 31, therefore, don't be anxious. Verse 34, therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow. He says it four times in just those few verses. Don't worry. Don't be anxious. Why is that such a danger? Why would he keep saying that? Well, let's ask a very simple question. What is the root of anxiety in our life? You know, I was, I, I've, I've been planting some stuff at home. I got some, uh, I've been planting some muscadines, and I was watching a video, and they were saying as those muscadines grow down the vine, the roots actually follow them. I didn't know that. I thought the roots were all in a little ball, but they say when you fertilize, you fertilize under the vine because the roots actually match the width of what you can see. That's true for a lot of plants, right? What you can see above the ground is fed by something under the ground, right? We can see the worry. We can feel the anxiety. But what's the root of it? 
What's the thing that's producing that? Well, Jesus told us in verse 30. If God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? O you of little faith. See, anxiety is just a symptom. Anxiety is just a part of the vine, the tree, or whatever that you can see above the ground. The root that produces it is unbelief. And that makes perfect sense, right? If you really believed that God owns the cattle on a thousand hills, if you really believed that, uh, that uh, he, he will supply all of your uh, needs in, in Christ Jesus according to his riches and glory, if you really believe that, why would you ever worry? See, it's unbelief that breeds anxiety in our life. When we don't believe in God, when we don't believe in His promises that He's given to us in Scripture, the result is we worry. We worry. You see, worry denies the wisdom of God. It basically says, God, don't really know what He's talking about. I need to handle this. Worry denies the love of God. Well, He don't really love me that much to take care of me. Or worry denies the power of God that he can't do it. See, all of those things breed anxiety in our life. Now, let me say, first of all, it almost sounds like somebody's sticking a finger in your face, doesn't it? When I say it, that, that your, your whole point, and by the way, who in here worries? And if you don't raise your hand, you're just a liar. <laughs> now, you know that's true. Everybody worries. Everybody worries. So what I'm sitting here saying is all of us struggle with unbelief. We all struggle with unbelief. Now, when I first say that, it's like somebody's, you you get a little bit offended. But let me tell you, this is good news. This is good news. It's like going to the doctor and you got a pain, right? And it's been hurting you. And the doctor runs some tests and he comes back in the room and says, this is the situation. And you think, well, that's bad news, right? But... In some ways it is, but it's also good news. But Because how, how can you fight that thing if you don't know what's causing it? How can you fight anxiety and worry in your life if you don't know that the root of it is unbelief? So that's the good news of knowing what the problem is. Number two, let me say this. It does not mean when I say that we struggle with unbelief, I'm not saying that you're faithless. That's not what I'm saying. In fact, the Bible never says that believers won't worry. That's the ideal. It would love it. You know, we shouldn't worry, but we also are fallen human beings, and the Bible understands that. It understands that anxiety is an attack on our faith, and instead of condemning us, what it does is it tells us how to fight back. For example, in the Old Testament, Psalms 56.3, David says, when I'm afraid, he's afraid sometimes. When I'm afraid, I put my trust in you. Or as Peter says in 1 Peter 5, 7, cast all of your anxieties on him because he cares for you. Both of those are are clear that you're going to have fears. You're going to have worries. You're going to have anxieties. But it tells us how to fight them. Now, let me say this one. I also want to be clear that anxiety for some people and worry can really be a... We all do it. All of us. But it can really be a struggle. And let me say this to you, uh, just in case you've never talked about this or been open about this with anybody. If you struggle with anxiety and worry, let me just tell you, that's pretty much normal. Everybody does. 
I know you walk in here and you see certain people and you just think, man, they got it all together. But everybody worries. I worry. Now, I, I used to be a real worrier. But over the, over the years, I've, I've, I've learned to control it. But I still worry. I worry. I worry about dying. How many of y'all worry about dying? Man, are, are we... People, listen, I don't worry about where I'm going. But I worry about leaving my wife. I worry about leaving my grandchildren. If I die, what are they going to, how are they going to handle that? You, you don't worry about those things? Sure you do. You, just saying you worry doesn't mean you're some kind of terrible person. People worry. That's, that's normal. The issue is not whether you worry. The issue is what are you going to do about it? That's the issue. Are you going to let that control you? Because on one hand, you got anxiety or you got faith. And the further you move from faith, the more you're going to worry. And the more, more you move away from anxiety, the more you're going to move toward faith. That's it's what we're going to do about it. I read something the other day, Express Scripts, which is an online thing that gives out uh, prescription medicine, said that in March of 2020, use of anti-anxiety medication shot up 34%. 34%. Now, we know why. Because March 2020 was the pandemic, right? Instead of going to God, instead of going to church, instead of getting down on your knees, you go to the prescriptions and get an anxiety pill. And by the way, we can say, well, that was the pandemic, but that's true across the board. Overall, there was a 15% jump in the number of people taking antidepressants from 2015 to 2019. Among teenagers 13 to 19 years old in those five years, it jumped 38%, almost 40%. Teenagers taking anxiety medicine. You just go to the doctor and say, well, I I got a lot of anxiety, and they'll just hand it out like candy. Folks, listen, I don't mean to offend anybody, okay? (laughs) I really don't. But that is not how a Christian deals with anxiety. You're just, you're just not dealing with the root problem. You're just dealing with the symptoms. And the problem with those types of things is, yeah, they dull the anxiety, but they also dull the empathy and the love and the other feelings that God has put in you that you need to, to be able to have a relationship with Him and relationships with others. That's not how a Christian is to deal with the unbelief that produces their anxiety. Now listen, we serve a what I call a different kind of king. Um, I don't watch the news much anymore, but I do uh, scroll some different news feeds on my on my phone. And I and, and tell me this: Have any of y'all ever noticed how politicians want to keep you in a constant state of anxiety? Have y'all noticed that they they want to keep you worried? I mean, they want you worried about the economy. They want you worried about race. They want you worried about nuclear war. They want, you, they want you worried all the time. And the reason for that is because if you're anxious about your life, they think you'll come to them for the answers. And that gets them into power, and it keeps them into power. And that's the way they do it. That's the way the game is played. Listen, our king is different. Our king gets nothing out of people being anxious. In fact, he doesn't want us to be anxious. He says, my peace I give unto you. In fact, he is exalted when we don't worry. Not when we worry. So there's there's nothing in it for him. He wants wants to, to deliver us from anxiety and worry. Now the question is, how does he do that? 
Well, he does it by the way he does everything, by giving us his word as he does tonight. And, of course, by giving us help through uh, his Holy Spirit. In tonight's passage, our king is going to give us five ways to battle and overcome worry. Five things that he points out in this passage. Now, some of these, all five of them may mean something to you or just one of them may, may connect with you. But he gives us five ways that we are to overcome battle or five ways to battle and overcome worry. Number one, our king says that we must focus on the eternal, not the temporary. If you look at verse 25, it starts out with this, therefore. Do you remember what he just said in, in verses 19 to 24? He said, don't lay up for yourselves treasures on earth. Those are just temporary. Instead, lay up for yourself treasure in heaven where moth and rust and thieves can't break in and steal. And what he's saying here is he said, I'm saying the same thing. Don't be anxious about this temporary life. Things like, you know, what you're going to eat or what you're going to drink or what you're going to wear, those are all just temporary things. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Listen, as believers, when we go after the temporary things and we focus on the temporary things and we buy into the world's way of thinking, let me, I'm going to be honest, we, we debase ourselves to be like an animal because that's what animals do. Animals, life becomes all about the physical body. It, it's all about making your body attractive, making your, your entertaining your body, making sure it smells good, making sure it's as comfortable and as healthy and all of those things. Listen, there's nothing wrong with any of those things per se until it becomes your focus, until it becomes all about that. See, that's what Jesus says the Gentiles, the pagans, the unbelievers do. They, they focus on those things. But that's not what life is about. We are meant for so much greater things than that. So much greater things. We are meant to enjoy God. We are meant to glorify God. We are meant to live abundant lives. We are meant to be preparing for an eternity. We are meant to, to be conformed to the image of His Son. And I could go on and on and on. Much greater things than just what you're going to eat, where you're going to live, what you're going to wear, what you're going to drive. Those are just so temporary. And Jesus is saying here that if you and I are gripped by temporary things, we've lost our way. We have lost our way. We are walking by what we can see, not by what we believe. And that's a warning that he gives to us. Listen to Paul in Colossians 3, 1 through 4. If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things that are above, not on things that are on the earth. For you died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. And when Christ who is your life appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Who is your life? What is your life? What is it? Is it really about these temporary things or is it about him? Is it all about him? You see, if you're a Christian, our life is in Christ, and we should live it that way. Number two, the second way that we can battle and overcome anxiety, according to our king, is that is we have to recognize our value to God. We have to recognize our value to God. In this 
in this stretch of verses, he gives us three examples of God's care. One with birds, one with flowers, and one with grass. In verse 26, he says this, look at the birds of the air. They don't sow or reap or gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? Um, where I live, I got all kind of different birds. I got a, 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 a family of hawks that I, I see all the time. They're always landing in the pine tree and watch my chickens all day. Um, you know, I got, I got hoot owls. I got all kind of different, just all kind of birds. And I, I sit there sometimes and I watch them and I think, you know what? They, they, they just get up the next day and they just go get their, they go get their food. Go back. I mean, they just live every day in that day, right? In that moment. They don't hoard. They don't, they don't so put anything up. He goes on, look at verses 20 to 30. Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They don't toil or spin, yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. And if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown in the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O oh, you of little faith? Here's the thing about birds. Birds don't live as if God will stop being God tomorrow. Birds don't live as if God is going to stop being God tomorrow. They go about their work during the day. They do what they got to do. They get up the next morning, and God is still God. God is still providing for them. Jesus said, are you not of more value than they? Folks, listen, we were made in the image of God, and if you are a Christian, you've been recreated in the image of God. You have been adopted into his family. You have been ransomed and redeemed. You have been filled with the Spirit of God. You call him Father, and you are a co-heir with Christ. How much more will your heavenly Father take care of you? Listen to Matthew six thirty-one to 32. He goes on. Therefore, don't be anxious, saying, what do we eat? What do we drink? What do we wear? For the Gentiles seek after these things, but your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. Listen, we are more valuable than those things. That's the point that Jesus wants us to understand. How much more will a loving heavenly father take care of us? How much more do you believe that he is really a loving heavenly father? Do you believe that? Listen to Romans 8. I'll give you another one, 31 to 32. What shall we say about these things, Paul said? If God is for us, say it with me. Who can be against us? Indeed, he who did not spare his own son. See, he's already given us the hardest thing he could possibly do. He's already done. That is to give his own son. If he did that, Paul says, how will he not also along with him freely give us all things? Learn the lesson of the birds and the flower and the grass. Your father can be counted on Tomorrow, just as much as he can today. Did he take care of you today? You can count on him tomorrow. And the next day. And the next day. He's not going to stop being God. Philippians 4.19, last one on this. My God will supply every need of yours according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. It's a simple question. Will you believe it? Do you worry about your money? Do you worry about how you're going to get this? Do you worry about that? And do you worry about how you're going to provide this? And how you're going to send your kids to college? Or how you're going to do all that? Will you believe that he'll provide everything you need? Maybe not everything you want. Because sometimes we want's not what we need. 
But he will provide. That is his promise. And if he, by the way, if he doesn't do that, he's a liar. And God is not a man that he can lie. You can take that promise to the bank. Number three. I I love this one. In fact, I love these last three. Our king wants us to know that anxiety is absolutely useless. It's absolutely useless. In fact, not only can it not help, it actually can hurt. Look what he says in verse 27. And which of you, by being anxious can add a single hour to the span of your life. Now, we all know this, don't we? How many of you have told yourself this? It's a very, very pragmatic, very practical argument. You can worry and worry and worry and worry and worry and worry and worry about something, and you made no difference at all. Did you? Don't you all know that? I tell myself that all the time. Why are you thinking about this? Stop thinking about that. It's, 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 and we'll talk about that in a minute. Sometimes your mind, you're telling yourself, this is the dumbest thing you've ever done. You're, you're expanding all this energy and all this time and all these thoughts worrying about something that you can, all of that has no, doesn't do anything. Doesn't do, it makes no difference in the problem to worry about it. We know that. But it turns out that it just doesn't have a null effect. It also has a negative effect. First of all, it can depress you. Uh, Proverbs 12.25 said this, Anxiety in a person's heart weighs him down. You keep thinking about it. You keep worrying about it. You keep laying there and just keep going over and over and over it. Listen, you're not going to jump out of bed thinking, Woo, I'm ready to go. (laughs) Are you? You're going to crawl out of bed. Oh, woe is me. You know, this is just horrible. It's terrible. You spend all night worrying about the problem, very little thinking about Scripture. Very little talking to God about it. You just worry. So that's the first thing. But here's the really scary thing. In the parable of the sower, Jesus says this. The seed falling among the thorns refers to someone who hears the word, but the worries of this life choke the word. The worries of this life choke the word. See, as Christians, we ought to be in the word. And the Word should be cleansing us and sanctifying us and maturing us, and worries choke that out. There's not a doubt in my mind that there's probably people in here, and you, you, man, you get on those podcasts, and you listen to those podcasts, and you read those articles, and you do all your daily Bible reading and all that, and it's just not producing because you're choking it out with worry. You're absolutely choking it out with anxiety. In your life, it's making no difference at all. That, that's, I mean, this is a real danger for us. It is a real danger for us. If you look at that chart or that little arrow there, kind of like what I talked about, if you look on the left, you got the world and worry. On the far right, you've got God and faith. See, anxiety shows we're too close to the world and too far away from God. And more of one is always going to be less of the other. Your faith grows, your faith matures and builds, anxiety goes down. But as anxiety goes up because your faith is going down and down and down, you got to do something about it. Remember what we said starting out, you got to fight. You got to fight that unbelief. This is not, this isn't just something like, well, you know, I'm a worrier. No, no, you need to fight it. 
Because it has, what it wants to do is build in you a heart of unbelief that will lead you to fall away from the living God. You better fight. Number four, our king says, if you want to overcome anxiety and worry, you need to put him and his kingdom first. Put him and his kingdom first. Matthew six thirty three. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all those other things. What you're going to eat, what you're going to wear, what you're going to drive, what you're going to live, how you're going to educate your children. All those things will be added. He'll take care of it. I'll never forget, not too long ago, I met a young man and I gave him a ride home and he'd only been in church a little bit. And as he got out of the car, he said, he said, Mr. Derek, give me one piece of advice. And that's what I said to him. There is no better advice than that right there. Because, because everybody's worried. How am I going to, how am I going to put my marriage back together? How am I going to get my finances in order? How am I going to do this? How am I going to do that? Seek his kingdom and let him take care of it. That's as simple as it gets and as profound as it gets. And the beauty of it is that putting him first allows us to transfer the burden of worry about all these things over to him. He said, you put me first, I'll take care of all the finances and all, the, all those things in life that you worry about. Put me first, I'll take care of those. That's a promise. Will we believe it? Isaiah 26, 3 says this, You keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you because he trusts in you. You want to get rid of worry? You want to, get, you want to have perfect peace? Keep your mind on him. Keep your mind on him. And by the way, which may mean that you need to do some house cleaning. You see, there are things in your life that feed faith, and there are fit things in your life that feed worry. And if you want to feed faith, if you want to have peace, if you want to overcome, you need to get rid of things that feed worry. You need to get rid of those. we got to keep our minds on God. Number five, and I close with this. Our king says, and, another, and just an incredible, pragmatic, practical piece of advice, says that we need to live in today. We need to live in today. Matthew 6, 34. Therefore, he says, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. So I'm sure most of you know what that means, but I want to point something out here. First of all, Jesus does not say um, that we won't have trouble. He says you will have trouble, right? He says in this world you will have tribulation. Let's go back and read that right there. Therefore, don't be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. You will have trouble. You're going to have bad days. You're going to have bad weeks. Some of us are going to have bad months. There's going to be things that come into our life that, that want to feed and breed anxiety. That's not why he says don't worry. The fact that he calls us not to worry is not because we're somehow exempt from those things. God, he, never, he never promised that. What he did promise is that in that day's trouble, he'll give you the grace to handle it. That's what he promised. That in this day, today, whatever today is, August something, in this day, I'll give you the grace to handle whatever you need. Lamentations three twenty-two to 23. What a beautiful passage. The steadfast, of Lord, the steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. Say it with me. Every morning. 
every day he gives you what you need for that day. Every day, tomorrow, he gives you what you need for that day. If you read the story of Israel in the wilderness and God fed them with the, with the manna and the quail, he only gave them enough for that day. Now, he would not let them go out and store up extra. If you, if you tried to put up extra, it would just go bad on you. He does the exact same thing with us so often. He gives us grace for the day that we're in. Gives us grace for the day that we're in. George MacDonald said this, No man ever sank under the burden of the day. It's when you add tomorrow's burden to the burden of today that the weight becomes more than you can bear. Now that is a good, good piece of advice right there. You know, if you, if you think about your life for a moment, and some of us, and I'm sure some of you, have gone through some bad things, you made it through the day, didn't you? But when we look into the future and we grab all those troubles and bring them back into today, we, we pile burdens on ourselves that we're not meant to carry. Kent Hughes says it this way, The truth is we always have the strength to bear the trouble when it comes. But if you add tomorrow's troubles to today's troubles, you give yourself an impossible burden. You see, God has appointed for every day that there's going to be some pleasures and there's going to be some pains. There's going to be some things that are good and there's going to be some things that are bad. Don't drag tomorrow's troubles back into today. By Because that's what you do when you worry about them. When you start worrying about, well, what if? What if? What if? you got no control. That doesn't change anything. You have no clue what's coming. You're worrying about things that may not ever happen. You're just dragging troubles from the future into the day, and we wonder why we're so burdened down. We wonder why we're so filled with anxiety and worry. Jesus said, don't do that. Let me say this. Believe that God will still be God when you get to tomorrow. I like that. I made that up. Believe, <laughs> believe that God will still be God tomorrow. Just believe that. That when I need Him, He'll be there. We say we'll cross that bridge when we get there. We say that all the time, right? Don't worry about it. Set it aside. So, I urge you tonight, Christians, in your battle, in your warfare... Believe the promises of God, ask His Spirit for help, and fight the good fight of faith. I want to let our King have the last word. So what I did is I put together a few scriptures from Isaiah, uh, from Thessalonians, and from Timothy. And this is God's words. Listen. Do not fear, for I am with you. Don't be dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you and help you. And I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. When you pass through the water, I'm going to be with you. And when you pass through the rivers, they will not sweep over you. And when you walk through the fire, you will not be burned. The flames will not set you ablaze. I am faithful. And I will strengthen you and protect you and rescue you from every evil and bring you safely into my heavenly kingdom. Let's pray. Father, you are a wonderful king. I thank you, God, that you are not like our kings and presidents and prime ministers that just want to feed us anxiety. God, you want us to have peace. You want us to have peace. What a king you are. Thank you for your word. Thank you for these reasons. God, help us believe. 
I think everybody here would say with me the way that that young father did back in the Gospels when uh, you asked him about his son and wanting to be healed. He said this. He said, Lord, I believe. Help my unbelief. We believe in you, God. We believe in you, Jesus. We believe you are the Son of God. We believe you died for our sins. We believe you are coming again. But every single one of us struggles with little pockets of unbelief. God, help our unbelief. Help our unbelief. Father, I pray tonight if there's anybody here that struggles excessively with anxiety, that struggles excessively with worry, Father, I pray somehow, some way, that you will turn their heart and mind tonight to your word. That you would let them see that the answer is not in a pill. The answer is not in a, in a medicine or anything a doctor can give. But the answer is in your holy word. God, give them the ability to believe that. And let them walk in an abundant life because of it. We honor you. We glorify you. We praise you. We thank you for chapter 5 in chapter 6. And Father, we look forward next week to chapter 7 in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you all. Y'all are dismissed. Thank you again for listening to this message from River of Life. If this message has touched you today, or if you need someone to pray with, please contact us at 850-926-1200 or email us at info at com. We also want to encourage you to visit us this Sunday morning at 1030 a.m. in Crawfordville. Please visit us online at com for more information and directions.